I won't keep you long. Go with me to Joshua chapter 1. I want to read you a couple of things. You know, in preparation for this, and because this was the 4th of July weekend, celebrations coming up to Tuesday, it's a choice as a pastor whether we acknowledge Independence Day or not. There will be many churches today acknowledge, but there will be many that won't. And presented to me, what am I going to do? And I say, well, part of our future cannot happen without reflection on our past. Even as the church of Jesus Christ, when we've read Joshua chapter 1, for years after years after years, we know that there is something for the taking and there's a way to take it. Not everybody has to do things the same way, but yet there is a way for us to do it. Sometimes I think that we miss the mark because we try to constantly do things the way other people have done them. But yet, then there comes a moment that you get this, aha, what if I did it this way? Well, it might be unorthodox. It might be different to what and how other people do it. But it might just be the way it needs to be done. And that's why in this portion of Scripture, I believe that the Lord speaks to Joshua very clearly, Moses, my servant, is dead. It was more than just the physical body of Moses. It was a time. The way things were, Moses being raised up by God to do everything for the people on behalf of God, now was moving into a period of time that Joshua would lead the people into appropriating the will of God and them executing that will. So it was not now a season for God and a man to do everything for a people. It's now a season that the man and the people begin responsibility of applying everything that needs to be done so that they can acquire for themselves everything that has been promised. We are living in this as the church of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we want others to do things for us. How many people have ever been like that? Don't put up your hands, we'll be here all day. But when you come to the realization, it's not what other people can do for you. It's what God has already done for you. And sometimes we want others to do what it is that only you can do. You know, even as a minister, I have, thank God, so many people praying for me and for my family, for us personally and for this work. But yet there comes a place and a point that they can't do my praying for me. They can do their part regarding the prayer, but then there is my part that I have to apply. I just can't live out of the results of another person's prayer. Thank God for prayer. I want you to shout that out. Thank God for prayer. One more time. Thank God for prayer. Because on to say here in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
So now arise, take his place, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land which I have given to them. Every place upon which the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given to you as I promised Moses. From the wilderness, this Lebanon, to the great river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great Mediterranean Sea on the west shall be your territory. I want to stop here just momentarily, and I want to interject this. Regarding your call, and regarding that which the Lord has required of you, there is always territory, and there is always boundaries and borders. We live in a world, we live in a country where borders, boundaries are looking to be overlooked. It's okay for some, but it's not okay for others. But yet it was God himself who put boundaries and borders in place. He says to the sea, you can come this far, but no further. And so right here we can see it that to God, the boundaries of the land for Israel were very clear and very important, as is what I believe, this land that we live in. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you, but be strong. Verse 6, confident and of good courage. But why do I need to be strong? Why do I need to be confident if I've already been given it? Because you have to take it. And there is a force that does not want to give it up. You must never forget that Corinthians tells us that there's a God of this world. Even though God has given you precious promises that are yes and amen, you just can't wait that heaven is just going to you know, be able to give you everything on a silver platter without any opposition from the enemy. No, to the contrary, you'll be fought. But even in this fight, you're stronger. Even in this fight, you've already won. We're already taken what we've already been given. And before we start, the fight is already over. Why? Because God is on our side. We employ everything that heaven has so that we can do everything that heaven desires. And that's how we know that when Israel did what was right and pleasing in the eyes of God, everything worked in the way it was supposed to work. No enemy could stand against them. No enemy could prosper against them because they stood in the obedience of the plan and the purpose of God. I believe that God has asked us to do great things in this land which we call America. I believe that the church has not even been seen in this land yet. I believe for decades we've sang our songs and preached our messages and yes, we've held the line. But I believe we're about to see the power. I'm going to say that again just for those that are, you know, just wondering what this is all about today. We've towed the line for decades. We've held great services, great crusades. As what Reinhard Bunke was to Africa, Billy Graham was to the United States of America. 
powerful preaching through the early moves of God, the early revivals, with healing being manifested in ways that people were not familiar with. Then you have a man, even from this city, called Oral Roberts, who coined a phrase, something good is going to happen. The persecution that rose against him just because of one statement. I wonder, could we today, even these years later, stand up against the pressure of the persecution that came against Oral Roberts? I believe God is doing great things. I believe he is still doing good things. And I do believe that there are a bunch of people that are expecting a miracle every single day. I want you to shut it out. I expect a miracle every day. One more time. I expect a miracle every day. One more time. I expect a miracle every day. How many people believe the best is yet to come? How many people believe that signs, wonders, and miracles are still right there in front of us in everyday part of our lives in the name of Jesus? We're not looking back. They towed the line, yes. They held the line, yes. America is a righteous nation. But yet, if the church was everything that it was supposed to be, then why is America in the state she is in today? Ladies and gentlemen, there is a piety, there is a, there is a way of religion, there is a way of godliness. But yet even scripture says that you can have a form of godliness, but yet you deny the power thereof. I am holding out for the power of Almighty God to visit and be demonstrated and manifested in this great country. I am expecting the White House to burn with the holy fire of heaven in the name of Jesus. I am believing that the house right here in Oklahoma City to burn with the holy fire of heaven. I believe that the fire of heaven can sweep through this land and sweep through this state and sweep through the 50 states of this union. And I believe there's a few people in this church that actually believe that too. I believe that Tulsa is rising. No matter what people say, Tulsa is rising. Some people are looking for a church that they can just go to and get a little teaching and sing a little song. But you've missed the plot. You've missed it completely. You have been invited to the greatest fight of the ages. It is not a fight against flesh and blood. It is a fight of the Spirit. Amen. It is one that we have already won. And in the name of Jesus, by the plan and the purpose and the will of God, we will prevail. I'm so tired of Christians just looking for good churches. It's not a good church that you need. It's a powerful church that you need. It's a church of conviction, a church that knows that there never ever will be anything more than a male and a female. I'm getting offended 
you are going to get offended because the church is an offensive operation. There's not one part of the church is defensive. Not one part. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because we are an offensive force in operation. I was trying to be on my best behavior, but the wheels are coming off. Because I don't know how people can just sit and just play with their world like they're playing tiddlywinks. You know, watching everything, want to go down the tubes and you can't even stand up and pray. Get into intercessions and hold somebody and hold somebody's hands up and get behind something that is strong and is prevailing and is offensive in the name of Jesus. Everything the church does is offensive and everything it does going into the days ahead is going to be offensive. Why? Because there are agendas and there are evil people that are being fueled on by evil spirits and they are not going to let you go until they put you under but you're not going to go under you're going to keep rising and rising and rising I'm going to say it again you're going to keep rising and rising and rising I'm going to say it again you're going to keep rising and rising and rising If you're part of another church, I would make an appointment with your pastor. Because if he's not preaching like this, you want to ask him why he's not preaching like this. Because the early preachers of the United States of America, every one of them preached like this. And they preached the conviction of the Spirit into every heart because they knew how grateful they were and how thankful they were for a land that was free from tyranny. And if the church can help get a land free from tyranny when it started, then the church can help a land stay free from tyranny. Well, I'm just wanting to enjoy my life. There's not too many nations right now that you can really live like you live in America. Ask us. These guys are from down under. I'm so glad that they come up over. <laughs> Ask them. You don't want a socialist government, ladies and gentlemen. You think you can go to work and just do whatever you want to do and you can live indifferent, complacent, apathetic, Man, that Paul Brady just, he just wears me out. I would like him even if he would, if he would just come it down a little bit, if he would just, just not shine so bright from that baldy head. I mean, if he would just come it down so much. Why did he have to ruin this morning's service by preaching like this? Because there's a fire that burns in my belly. And I want a country for my grandchild in the name of Jesus that is coming in October. Did you hear me?
I want a country for my grandchild. I want her to be able to celebrate the 4th of July. I want her to be able to celebrate a land that is still free. It's time to take the land. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. The summer of 1776 was, in the words of the founder Thomas Paine, one of the times that try men's souls. If you read the timeline of American history from the end of the Seven Years' War in 1763 to the Declaration of Independence, you'll see how severely the relationship of the American colonies with Great Britain had deteriorated. In 1764, to help offset its huge war debt and the expenses of running the colonies, the English Parliament imposed the Sugar Act, which increased the duties on imported sugar textiles, coffee, wines, and dyes. It also reorganized the American customs system to bring stricter enforcements of British trade laws, establishing a court in Halifax, Nova Scotia, that had jurisdiction over all the colonies and trade matters. Then it passed the Currency Act that prohibited the colonists from issuing any legal tender paper money which threatened to destabilize the colony economy. That was followed in 1765 by the Stamp Act on all printed materials, which was the first colonial tax to be paid directly to England. Not their own legal legatures. Next came the Quartering Act that required colonists to house and feed British troops. While protests and boycotts led to a reversal of the hated Stamp Act, Parliament proceeded to enact the Declarity Act of 1766, starting they had the power to legislate all laws governing the colonies, which led to outbreaks of violence between British soldiers and colonists. The Townshend Act of 1767 imposed new colonial taxes on imports, such as paper, tea, glass, lead, and paints, and was followed by another groundswell of protests, boycotts, and simmering violence. On March the 5th, 1770, the Boston Massacre occurred as a mob harassed British soldiers who lent fired their muskets point blank into the crowd, killing five and injuring six. To protest the Tea Act of 1773, which gave the British East India Company a monopoly to trade tea in America, the colonists refused to pay any import duties on the tea on board the British ship Dartsmouth. And on December 16th, dumped all the tea into the Boston Harbor in what has been called the Boston Tea Party. 
An angry parliament retaliated with the first of the coercive or intolerable acts in 1774, placing Massachusetts under military rule and virtually ending any self-rule by the colonists. Many colonists saw this as a direct violation of the British Constitution and a threat to all their liberties. By the time the First Continental Congress met in September 1774, the American colonies had been forced to endure taxation without representation, searches and seizures without probable cause, and the confiscation of firearms and the long list of other legal offenses detailed in the declaration that Parliament had left unresolved. Yet even when armed conflict in the Revolutionary War broke out on April 19, 1775, with the shots heard around the world on Lexington Green in Massachusetts, few colonists desired complete independence from Great Britain. Most were merely fighting for their rights as subjects of the British Crown, and the Continental Congress was still appealing directly to King George III for help in achieving a reconciliation with Britain. Sentiments changed over the course of the next year, however, as Britain's great military force attempted to crush the rebellion. In August 1775, the King declared that the American subjects were engaged in open and avowed rebellion. Then in February 1776, Parliament passed the Prohibitory Act, which established a blockade of American ports and declared American ships to be enemy vessels. The result of all these actions is perhaps best reflected in the words spoken by Thomas Jefferson on November 29, 1775. Believe me, dear sir, there is not in the British Empire a man who more cordially loves a union with Great Britain than I do. But by the God that made me, I will cease to exist before I yield to a connection on such terms as the British Parliament propose. And in this, I think I speak the sentiments of America. In October 1775, to quail the rebellion, King George III ordered the enlargement of the Royal Army and Navy. When the news reached America in January 1776, it propelled the cause for the independence and led many colonists to abandon all hopes of reconciliation. That same month, Thomas Paine published his pamphlet, Common Sense, which in simple, concise terms argued that independence was a natural right and the only possible course for the colonies. In his first few weeks in publication, Common Sense sold more than 150,000 copies and stimulated public debate and support for separation from Great Britain. In May, the Congress learned the King had negotiated treaties with German states to hire mercenaries to fight in America. His actions convinced many Americans that England was now treating them as foreigners. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. 
that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. As I've said before and I've said many times, ours is not physical, ours is truly spiritual. If the church would truly do what the church was supposed to do in simply just praying for this country and praying for this government, I believe with all my heart we would see an almighty shift in the direction of righteousness. But because of the sin of prayerlessness and because people refuse to pray in the way that they are given the right to pray, then unfortunately we are held to ransom by outlaw spirits, foreign spirits, spirits that have no intention of letting up or relenting. They are spirits of destruction and they want to bring everything into an agreement that is anti-God and a platform built for the Antichrist. But if we pray, we can stay the hand of the enemy and work in what the Bible has clearly told us as the restraining order called the body of Christ. When the Second Continental Congress, which was essentially the government of the United States from 1775 to 1788, first met in May 1775, King George III had not replied to the petition for redress of grievances since by the First Continental Congress. Therefore, the Congress gradually took on the responsibilities of a national government and one by one began to cut the colonies ties to Britain. In June 1775, it established a continental currency as well as the Continental Army, appointing George Washington as its commander-in-chief, and in July created a post office for the United Colonies. The privateering resolution passed in March 1776 allowed the colonists to arm vessels to patrol and defend against the enemies of these united colonies. On April 6, 1776, American ports were opened to commerce with other nations, an action that cut the economic ties dictated by Parliament's Navigation Acts. By mid-1776, eight American colonies had decided they would support independence, but Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, and Delaware resisted. On May 15, 1776, Congress passed a set of resolutions drafted by John Adams that authorized the colonies to set up state governments independent of the crown, and several did. This was an emphatic act of sovereignty, and as such, it necessitated a formal declaration of independence from the crown. Four of the middle colonies voted against it, and the Maryland de delegation walked out in protest. Also, on May 15th, the Virginia Convention passed a resolution that the delegates appointed to represent the colony in General Congress be instructed to propose to that respectable body to declare the United Colonies free and independent states. In keeping with these instructions, 
Richard Henry Lee of Virginia presented his resolution for independence on June the 7th. Resolved that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, and they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. There will still some stalwart delegates, however, who wish to pursue the path of reconciliation with Britain, and some threatened to leave Congress if the resolution was passed. On June 10th, Congress voted to postpone discussion of Lee's resolution for three weeks of recess. However, before Congress recessed, a committee of five was appointed to draft a Declaration of Independence. During those final weeks of June 1776, support for a Congressional Declaration of Independence was consolidated among the colonies. The Committee of Five, composed of John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Robert R. Livingston, and Roger Sherman, instructed Jefferson to write the first draft. Jefferson's most immediate sources were his own draft of preamble of the Constitution of Virginia and George Mason's Virginia Declaration of Rights. And he presented his fair draft to Benjamin Franklin and John Adams for their considerations and amendments prior to the presentation of a rough draft to the committee. They then presented this document to Congress on June 28th with the title, A Declaration by the Representatives of the United States of America in General Congress Assembled. For two days, Congress edited Jefferson's primary document, including the removal of Jefferson's assertion that Britain had forced slavery on the colonies, in order to temper the document. On July 2nd, 1776, after a great deal of wrangling and a powerful speech by John Adams, the resolution of independence was adopted with 12 affirmative votes and one abstention. New York officially approved it on July 9th, making it unanimous. With this, the colonies officially severed political ties with Great Britain. On July 4th, the final word of the Declaration of Independence was approved and sent to the printer for publication. Then at last, church bells rang out over Philadelphia, declaring the Declaration had been officially adopted. Writers were sent in all directions with the news, and in many places it was celebrated with shouts and processions, with the firing of guns and the ringing of bells before long. The Declaration was read to audiences and reprinted in newspapers across the 13 states. John Hancock, the President of the Congress, was the first to sign the sheet of parchment measuring 24 and a quarter by 29 and 3 quarter inches. He was a bold signature center below the text so King George could read it without his spectacles. In accordance with prevailing custom, the other delegates' signatures were arranged according to their geographic location. New Hampshire, the northernmost state, began the list at the right below the text, and Georgia, the southernmost, ended it. Eventually, 56 delegates signed, although all were not present on August 2nd. A few delegates who voted for adoption of the Declaration never signed. Non-signers included, and it went on. 
But today, ladies and gentlemen, we can declare this, that we, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies and of right ought to be free and independent states. And there birthed a beautiful ideal. Something that would produce something great, as I've said many times, as a beacon to the world. I've told many people over the years, probably thousands, because my voice is recorded and is on audio, audio in many different places, that even in America's worst day, it's still better. And even in America's darkest day, it's still so much brighter. In recognition of a good God. I want you to lift your hands one more time to Him. We have a job to do. Our job is spiritual. With your hands lifted to heaven, I want you to take seriously the reason that you were born into a country like this. Just for two minutes before we eat custard. Let's thank Him. For land of the free and home of the brave. Father, I pray for every person today. I thank you for the awesome privilege of being brought to this land. And now, Father, even in the Brady household, even from our side, a child is coming that is born an American. Father, we call this people blessed. Satan, you can't have it. You can't have any of it. You can't have our families. You can't have Oklahoma. And you can't have Tulsa. Pray in the Spirit right now all over this room. team, please come back.
so beautiful. Let's all stand to your feet today. Pastor, why did you read that this morning? Because it would probably surprise you how many people have never read that. And it would probably surprise you how many people that have actually been born in this land that don't even know a little of what I just read. So when you ask, why did I do this this morning? because we need it. You're weak in Christ if you don't know what he did and you reinforce what he did and you stay current every day of your life with Christ. If you don't, you grow weak. And it's the same as a citizen of a country. That if you don't realize how this happened, then you don't know what there is to fight for. And you lose your conviction. And then really, it's just what everybody else wants goes. But I believe a conviction is coming back not only to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength, but, but also to realize that when he said pray for those in government, he meant it. He said if you would humble yourself and pray, he said I will heal your land. How many people believe that today? Let me see your hands. So how many people believe there's a job that needs to be done? How many people believe it can be done? 
So we're not going to be moved by what the news says or by what these billion-dollar-backed agendas are saying. We're going to be moved by the Bible. This nation was built on the Bible, and this nation shall run on the Bible and will take us through to the end on the Bible. If you believe that, shout a big amen. Come on, today as we go, we say, God bless America. We declare that our greatest days are right up ahead of us. We declare that from generation to generation, they shall be blessed and that every generation will be able to enjoy the freedom and the liberty that America offers to us all. My confession constantly is the greatest days are right up ahead of us. And when I'm speaking over America, I say, come on, America. You're not done yet. The best is yet to come. Come on, guys. When I lived overseas, I used to love coming to the United States of America. I loved the patriotism. I loved it when people would speak of their country. I don't hear that as much today, but I do believe that it can turn again and people can declare that this is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Shout it out. I believe that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody shouted a big amen. Come on, let's go have custard. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you and give you peace. You'll go out with joy. Be led forth. I'm telling you. And everything that will oppose you shall break forth before you. God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful day.